0: Join me in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. Now, as we jump in to our message this morning, let me just say, there are certain Bible truths that as a pastor I get to speak on, and there are things that stick out over the course of time in Scripture that have extreme value to me. And of all things that I have ever preached on, this would be on my top ten list of Bible truths that I believe every single one of us need to sink into our lives. We have been looking at the Ten Commandments, and now we are kind of looking at the Ten Testimonies, the Ten Commandments of grace. And we come to Commandment 3 today, and of all of them, this is my favorite, and yet they all kind of build together. So this morning, as we look, I want you to open your hearts and minds and just think and hold on to this, because I believe that this truth can change your life if you will patiently focus on it. We began a couple of weeks ago now, and we looked at first of all the first commandment, which is grace is not earned, it is given. And as we began to look at how God established his relationship with Abraham years before he ever gave the commandments, and he established the relationship, and in that he gave grace, and it was nothing that Abraham did to deserve it. It was given to him. And then we saw, secondly, how grace is not reserved for good people. Grace underscores the goodness of God. We looked last week at Judah and how Judah had made so many mistakes along the way and done things not accidentally but intentionally that were obviously wicked on any human being's level and standard. And yet, God still allowed Judah to be the one who the line of Christ would come through. Because grace isn't reserved for good people. Grace underscores the goodness of God. And when we come to the third commandment today, I want you to hold on to this one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You see, our third commandment is grace is never just enough. Grace is always far more than enough. To see it, let's jump right into our illustration in Scripture here in Joshua chapter 2. The children of Israel have left Egypt, They have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years now, and they're getting ready to finally obey God and go into the promised land. As they are there on the doorstep of the promised land, the great battle to start it all off is in front of them, the city of Jericho. They come to the city, this mighty walled city that seemed completely impenetrable. They had withstood invasion. They had built so that no one could ever conquer them, so they thought. As the children of Israel look there at the city, there is a fear. There's an overwhelmment. Here's a bunch of wanderers attacking the strongest city they've ever seen. And as they come to it, Joshua sends a couple of spies to go in and to kind of see what's going on and what they need to do. Verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho said unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, there came men unto me, but I wis not whence they were. At this moment, these spies are hiding. Rahab has put them away so that as they come looking for them, she's helping protect them. Now, when we begin to think about grace is never just enough, it's always far more than enough, we're going to be focusing on Rahab. To understand Rahab, you have to understand who she is at the very beginning. Those who are Bible students, will come to verse 4, and they will say something to the effect of, Rahab lied here to cover up and to protect these men, and she shouldn't have lied. Okay, let's go back to verse 1 for just a second. Go to the second half of verse 1. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab. Can we all agree at this moment lying is the least of her problems? Can we agree to that? Can we all agree at this moment that Rahab is not the bring home to mom type? All right, so I mean, we're there that we can fantasize things, but at this moment, for whatever reason in her life, Rahab's not a very good person. We can agree to that. These men come in, and they're looking for a place to hide. And so she she puts them away and she protects them. And we begin to understand a little bit more. Jump down to verse 9 with me. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Now before we go any further, go back. She says that the Lord. This is that Jehovah name of God. This is recognizing not just that a God, that your God. The God of Israel, the God who's made a covenant with Israel, the God of heaven, this is not a sun God, this is not the moon God, this is not the fertility God, this is the Jehovah God, and she has recognized and acknowledged Him already, which is a big step for someone who's living in Jericho. Verse 9, again, hath given unto you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you, For we have heard how the Lord Jehovah dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Shion and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord Jehovah Your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. (laughs) There's this recognition of God, and now Rahab goes, Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by Jehovah, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my Father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother, my brethren and my sisters, and all they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Now, notice the faith that these two spies had that ten of the twelve spies did not have when they first came to the promised land. These two men look at it and say, no, no, we, are, we already know the Lord's given this to us. And so when we come, if you will do this. Then she let them down by a cord through the window for her house. This is verse 15. Was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get ye to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned, and afterwards may ye go your way. So if the king sends people out to find you, you go hide and then go back towards where? Because obviously they would have known where the million people, the children of Israel, are hanging out. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, Thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall be out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. Here is this lady whose lifestyle, whose background has proven her to be a less-than-moral individual. She sees these two men, And she recognizes that their God is God. She has heard the testimony of what God has done in bringing them out of Egypt. She didn't read about it on the Internet. The message had gotten there. There was a surety and a fear among the people. And at that moment, she makes a decision that I have to wonder why everyone else in Jericho did not make. But she recognizes that your God is God and I want your God. And so she makes an agreement with them that I want your God. I want to be as you are, a worshiper of Jehovah. Protect me. I'll I'll protect you. I'll send you away. I'll keep your message quiet. I won't let anybody know where you've gone or what you're doing. And they make an agreement and the bond is settled by a scarlet thread. You see we begin to see it unfolding here. Grace is available to you regardless of your past. Sometimes it becomes hard. If you grew up in a Christian home, you almost undervalue grace because perhaps you grew up and you don't have a checkered past, as we like to say. Others... Will have things in their past that they greatly regret. And they feel as if they can't come to Christ. I remember sitting beside the bed of a a lady who was relatively young, and she had cancer and she was dying. And it was just a matter of days, and I believe it was about a week after I sat beside her that she did pass away. And she said, Look, I know about God, but I don't know if I'm going to heaven. And I had the opportunity to sit there, and she had godly in-laws who had been giving her the gospel for years. And I shared with her how Christ died for her, and how if she would put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, she could spend eternity in heaven. And she accepted Christ that day. As she passed away, I had opportunity to witness to her husband, who lived really just a couple of doors down from the church. And I invited him to our church, and he said to me, and I'm not kidding, he said, I think the roof would fall in if I walked into that church. I said, it's pretty well built. You don't have to worry about that. I said, you come on. And he came, but it was because of all in his past, he just felt like, I can't come to God like this. Grace is available to you regardless of your past. Amen. And this morning, we think of things in our past that we regret, things that we did that we wish we hadn't. And we forget that God's grace was available to Rahab. God's grace, and I'm not just talking saving grace, though that certainly is true. His grace is available to each and every one of us, regardless of what we have done wrong in the past. You see, grace allows us to come to God like we are right now. Isn't it true that you can have this mindset that God loves some future, better, improved, like 2.0 version of you? And, And that one day when you get to that level, then God will love you? And it's because you've known someone that you consider to be at that level, and so you think, if I can get to that level, then God will love me. Make no mistake. God's grace is available to you the way you are right now, not some future, better, improved version of you. He's available to you right now. You see, all of us are nothing more than sinners who are saved by grace. And First 1 Timothy 1.15, says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all expectation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds on, of whom I am chief. He recognized his own wickedness. He recognized his own sinfulness and that grace was available to him, a murderer of Christians. Grace was available to Rahab. Grace was available to Paul. Grace is available to any one of us. What grace does is grace allows us to look at God and say, I know you made me the exact way that I needed to be, But my sin nature has messed it all up, so God, I need you to make me again. In Jeremiah 18, verse 3 and 4, it says, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. In Hebrews chapter 11... We define Hebrews. We, we've kind of titled Hebrews chapter eleven, and we define it as the hall of what is it? Faith. 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 It's all these people of great faith. And man, there's some amazing stories. You got Enoch. Enoch's in there, and he's walking with God, and he walks so close to God. And he has such perfect fellowship with God. He goes out one day to just pray and talk to God, and he never comes home, and no one ever sees him again. He's just gone. He's translated, is what the Bible tells us. He disappears because he was that close to God. And it goes through, and the Bible just tells us all these great stories. And when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, we read, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. There, there's a part of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 I just hate. I just hate. By faith, the harlot, Rahab. It's hundreds of years from Joshua chapter 2 to Hebrews chapter 11. Couldn't we have just gone with Rahab? Couldn't we have just left that part off? It's because you and I, we want the mistakes of our past gone because they bring us down. But if you think about that phrase by faith the harlot Rahab perished not what that screams is not how bad of a person Rahab was though she was at that moment it screams how good of a God we serve and when God looks at her he says I don't care We look at it and go, can't you take that name off? I don't want that tag on my life anymore. I don't want to be known that way. God says, I don't care. Because it's not about you, it's about me. You see, my grace is not because you're good. My grace is because I'm good. And when I look at you, I just see that as a trophy of grace. I see it as the opportunity in which I was able to overcome all of your past. And you made a decision to trust in me and because of that my grace is sufficient and all of that past doesn't matter anymore because grace is enough. Grace just clears away all of that past. It deals with all of the baggage. When the Israelite spies offered to spare Rahab's life, they said nothing about her lifestyle. Abandoning her trade was not part of the deal. Changing her life wasn't discussed. Rahab's label was not an obstacle to God, and neither is yours. The reality and the embarrassment your label reflects is not an obstacle to God's grace. You, like Rahab, are invited as you are labeled. And all that you are, you have been invited to join God in a relationship initiated by faith. This is the way of grace. And this is the way it has been from the beginning. Grace doesn't require people with embarrassing labels to shed those labels as a prerequisite. Grace is what empowers us to do so. Grace doesn't demand grace assist us. When it comes to your labels, current or past, God is slow to judge and more than willing to deliver. Not after you've freed yourself or distanced yourself from your embarrassing labels, but as part of the pro- process. In fact, grace provides you with the labels All its own, forgiven, accepted, loved, born again. You see, grace was enough for Rahab, and it's enough for you. Why seven days? Why did the children of Israel have to march around seven days? Oh, it's the number of perfection. Okay, that's true. But couldn't they have marched around once and the walls fell? Why seven days? Is it perhaps? Because there was more than Rahab who could have been saved. There there were more people who could have surrendered to God. Not only was Rahab of a different faith background, a different nationality background, she was of a different cultural background. In Jericho, were there better people than Rahab, all things being equal? Sure, sure there were. Sure. But none of them came to Christ. None of them had the faith to trust. None of them accepted the grace. And for seven days they watched. And according to Rahab's own testimony, they were fearful. They were scared of what was going to happen. But none of them came and begged for mercy. I don't know why God gave them so much time but he did. Turn over to Joshua chapter 9. Excuse me, Joshua chapter 6. I, I thought I had that wrong. Joshua chapter 6. Let's look in verse 17. There was a command given. It said, and the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Skip to verse 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren, and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. In verse 25, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwell in Israel, even unto this day, because she had hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Isn't it true that at this moment, grace was more than enough. You see, at this moment, Rahab was saved. That, that we can look at and go, well, that's reasonable. Rahab and all of her family were saved. Well, that was the deal. But then it was, look, we know you've been saved. We know you helped us. We have fulfilled our end of the bargain. Now, I'd encourage you to go back over the Jordan River and find a place over there to stay because everything over here, we're about to take over. And if you end up in the wrong city, I can't promise you we're going to protect you then. That's a reasonable thing for Joshua to say to her. But it's not what Joshua says. Joshua says, hey, look, all of this land, God's given it to us. And instead of going away, why don't you stay with us? Let us protect you. Fall under the umbrella of the army of Israel. Stay here in the land that was once yours and enjoy it with us. You see, grace is, we saved your life. Grace is more than enough when you say, we saved your life, now come and be part of us. You know, there was actually some excavation work done by a German group in 1907 through 1909 on the old city of Jericho. And when they started doing the excavating work, they realized and found that there was a section of the wall that did not fall at the same time as the rest of the wall, and that that section where Rahab was at was still standing for years and years after Jericho fell, and that that part of the wall, there would have been burn marks on it as they burnt the city, but that part of the wall stayed when everything else tumbled down. And for years they believed that that wall stood long after there was nothing left of that city. And yet, there was a family, and they moved in with Israel, and they stood for generations after. You see, we learn a little bit more grace was enough in that it delivered Rahab, but grace was far more than enough. All right, you got your Bible with you. I, I need you to stick with me here for a minute. We got to do a little bit of tracing here, and this is so great. Okay, so, so Matthew chapter 1. and Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we see here the genealogy. I know sometimes when you read through your Bible, you go, man, what are all these genealogies for? And they help us at moments like this in such great ways. Look, if you will, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And Solomon begot Boaz of Rahab. Now that Rahab is Rahab, okay? So Solomon begot Boaz. So Boaz was born and his mama was Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And from David we can trace it all the way down to Jesus Christ. Now, turn over to Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. All right, Look at Ruth chapter 4 with me. Years after all of this has happened and the nation of Israel is there, we learn a little bit more about Rahab's son, Boaz. There in verse 1, then went Boaz up to the gate, so we know obviously that he was a man of intent, a, a man of purpose, and a man of some means. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth. Now, if you know your Bible history, what was the problem in the eyes of an Israelite about marrying Ruth? What was Ruth's background? Well, if you remember, Ruth was married before. She was married over in Moab. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not a a Jewish girl. She was not an Israelite. She was outside of their culture. And she was brought back in by Naomi. Now, if your mom had been brought in from outside of the culture... It'd make you a little more prone to be willing to marry someone who was brought in from outside of the culture, wouldn't you? So here Boaz, whose mom was from Jericho, ends up marrying Ruth. This is verse 15. And he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women... Now, we don't know who these women are, but we're going to come back to it in just a minute. "...said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord." which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine own age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, This is the son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. All right, now think with me for a minute. Ruth marries Boaz. We don't know who Ruth's mama is, but we know who Ruth's mom-in-law is, and her mom-in-law's name is? Let's try that again. Mom-in-law's name is? Naomi. All right, go back to the passage real quick because I need you with me. Verse 16, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. Now, certainly not wanting to exceed any levels of appropriateness here this morning, we can all agree that Naomi was a lady of some youthfulness. Can we agree to that? Can we all say that's a true statement here because of what what the Bible tells us she does? Okay, so you've got Ruth's mom-in-law, who is now the nurse to this child, so she is a woman of some youth. We would recognize, just from the context of Ruth, that Boaz was probably older than uh, Ruth. But we also know that Boaz was a daddy. So there's some youthfulness associated with Boaz as well. We agree on that. If Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, is alive, is it fair to make the assumption that possibly Boaz' mama is alive? I mean, this is a fair, logical conclusion, isn't it? It, I don't think this is too much of a stretch, though we don't know this for sure. I think it's a fair assumption. Okay, so you've got Naomi, who's now sitting down, and some of the women come to her. She's living in Boaz's house. There's a pretty good chance that Boaz's mama lives in his house. There's a pretty good chance that Rahab comes and sits down beside Naomi. Says, Naomi, look, I I know you went away bitter, but let me just tell you how good God is. Let me tell you what he did in my life. You see, I grew up on the wrong side of the wall. I, I was in a bad part of town, and I did some terrible things with my life. It was the only option I thought I had. But there was a day when two men came in who I knew were servants of Jehovah. And I risked everything because I believed that their God is the God of heaven and the God of earth and he could do anything. And I watched as my city crumbled around me. I watched as this massive wall fell flat. And I watched as they came in and they pulled me out. And I saw how Joshua said to me, look, just stay with us. And I watched as they came through, and they conquered everyone. I saw the giants fall. I saw Caleb take the mountain. I know what happened. I've seen God do some incredible, incredible, incredible things. And I just got to tell you, Naomi, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Because you see, grace is never just enough. Grace is always far more than enough. And as Naomi sits there, or excuse me, as Rahab sits there with Naomi and with Ruth, and as she just helps them learn and grow, we see how grace is so much more than enough. It exceeds anything we could possibly think about. Grace is available to all of us. Grace is what brought you here today. Grace gave you Jesus Christ. Grace will allow you to endure the pain of today and look for the joy of tomorrow. Grace transforms your checkered past into a picturesque present. Grace doesn't eliminate yesterday, but it can help you forget it. And if the story ended there, it would be enough. But it's not. In the years that would follow, we see that grace is always there when you need it most. As that wall remains standing for years to follow, there are two events in Scripture. One where David is fleeing for his life, and he would have had to march right out past Jericho, right by that wall where his great-great-grandmother had lived. History was so important to them, I don't believe he missed out on that story. I'm sure he knew what that meant. Jesus Christ Himself passes through one day and he walks on the road past old Jericho. And whether the wall was still standing or not, Christ in his omniscience would have looked and he would have known. Grace is never just enough. It's always far more than enough. And grace is always there when you need it most. A little over a year ago, a year and a half ago, the Lord began working in different ways in mine and Kara's life and in the church family here. And the Lord started leading us here to Harvest Baptist. Well, there's a lot that goes on at that time, and there's some excitement, and the Lord did some amazing things, and just selling our house and getting us to that point, and And we had all of the process of getting here. So we began to pack up the house, and we're getting everything loaded and ready. And in the process of those weeks leading up, Kara realized she was pregnant. And so now you've got... Moving, new church, new job, and a new one on the way. And so we were excited about it, but with the busyness of life and all we were trying to accomplish, honestly, we just couldn't get to the doctor. So we move everything down here, and we get it in storage, we get it out of storage, get it in the house, and then we're trying to just get everything with insurance figured out and doctors lined up and all of that. And, And time's going on, and so we haven't made it to the doctor still at this point. We come into the early spring, and Easter Sunday comes. In the week leading up to Easter Sunday, Kara experiences some minor complications, and so we're trying to get things figured out and get to the doctor and so forth. Easter Sunday rolls around. We have our early morning service. We have our breakfast. We have our morning service. And right after the morning service, Kara has a miscarriage. The next Monday, we go to the doctor, and the doctor confirms that she'd had a miscarriage. Now, that's a very common thing, I know. But when you go through it, it's not common. And it's challenging, and it's difficult. And at moments like that, you begin to think, what did I do wrong? Um, you know, for Kara, it's what did I physically do wrong? Did I did something that hurt this baby? Um, For me, it's, did I do something spiritually wrong? But you you go through and you just, you, you have to process it. And time goes on. Well, a year passes and Kara finds out she's pregnant again. And now you've got the nervousness of what happened. And the day after Easter, one year later, we go to the doctor again. And this time we sit in with the doctor And the doctor looks at me and says, hey, Dad, you need to see this. And confirms what I was already fairly sure of. There's two in there. Grace is never just enough. And then weeks pass and things get complicated. And Kara takes a vacation at the Wellstar Spa. and (laughs) Things go for weeks. And then I get a phone call while I'm at Walmart. Eh, I'm having some hard contractions. I think they're going to give me an IV. So I go home, I unload the groceries, I get cleaned up, I do several things. And then on the way, it's, oh, by the way, they're rolling me back. Eh, I guess I ought to hurry up. Get there. I get there just in time. About three or four minutes later, they roll us into the back. 929 on 91919, Karis comes out. We'd picked that name years ago. Charis, for those who don't know, is actually a Greek word. It's the Greek word for grace. Then Tinsley comes out, and in just an hour or two, we'll be up there at the NICU with two two-pound, ten-ounce monsters. Because grace is never just enough; grace is always far more than enough. We don't always get to see the end. But I promise you this, I know it now as well as I have ever known it in my life. Grace is never just enough. Grace is always far more than enough. And grace always comes when you need it most. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what will be going on in your life five years from now. But I know this truth,
1: and if you'll hold on to it, it will make all the difference. You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that he will not cast out anyone who calls upon him. I hope that you will call on him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you? At HBCGA or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.